following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology. All right, we're going to look at God's Word here, finish up our series in James. And um, let, let, me, let me ask you this question uh, as, we've, as we conclude this series. Uh, the series was called The No-Nonsense Guide to the Extraordinary Christian Life. But let me ask you a question. Do you even want an extraordinary Christian life? I mean, is that something that, that really is on your heart uh, to have? For the past 15 weeks, uh, we've been pounding away at, at the letter of James. I, it might even be better to say it's been pounding away at us. Does that sound a little more appropriate? And as we close out the series, what we see in these final verses, a uh, final two verses, is that uh, true Christ followers, the ones that are going after the extraordinary Christian life, they just flat out don't wander from it. They don't wander away. Their lives don't end in spiritual death. In fact, the one who lives the extraordinary Christian life not only doesn't wander away, but they spend the time that they do have trying to go after people who have professed faith in Christ, but seem to be wandering themselves. In other words, they're involved in helping uh, those who are wavering uh, to reaffirm their faith and be brought uh, back into a full expression of it. We all, in other words, have a vested interest in all of us experiencing the extraordinary Christian life. Today's text is going to help us determine uh, two things. Uh, one, if there's any drift in our lives, if we happen to be wandering at all in our faith. And uh, secondly, to ask the question of those who are not wandering, are you actively engaged in helping others not to wander and to bring them back? And so let me read the two verses and then we'll start working through it. Uh, these are the last two verses, James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. James writes this, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him show that whoever uh, brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. A true Christ follower doesn't wander from the faith, but instead saves those who do. Let's start with a warning. Don't wander from the faith. Seems pretty clear. Don't wander from the faith. That's James's concern in the first part of verse 19. You see it there. Uh, it's a conditional sentence. If anyone among you wanders from the truth, this is not just to be precise about this. This is not concern for those outside the church that don't know Jesus that we would want to bring them in. That's certainly a concern of the Bible. That is part of the task of being a Christ follower, but it's not precisely what James is talking about here. We should care about those who are outside the church and don't know the Lord. Uh, but right now, what we're concerned about are those inside the church who seem to be wandering. Notice that James says, um, he says, among you, if anyone among you He's writing to a church, to a group of believers. There's someone who has identified with who you are. Uh, that's the person that's wandering. They've made a profession of faith, but now they're in danger of walking away from that. 
In fact, that word wanders, let's understand that a little bit better. Uh, the Greek word, the New Testament was written in Greek. The Greek word uh, planao, planao uh, means to go astray. It's actually that Greek word was transliterated into English. We use it for the word planet. And in contrast to the stars, as the ancients would look up into the sky, uh, the stars uh, have fixed positions. Uh, The planets, by contrast, uh, wander through the skies. They come and they go. And so, we have this wandering. We are like the planets when we wander away from the Lord. Not, Not having a fixed position. I don't want to overplay the illustration too much. But Christ followers are to have a fixed position. We are to be in Christ. That's our position. The Apostle Paul, um, in his uh, 13 letters, actually in 12 of his 13 letters, uses the phrase or variants on the phrase in Christ 165 times. Uh, Most of them in the book of Ephesians, there is a great sense of this being the position we have as the followers of Christ, as those who would identify uh, with him, that that we are in him. James 2 has the same idea. I love uh, chapter 2, verse 1, where we're encouraged to hold the faith, hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, to tenaciously retain that, to know the word of God, to believe the things that God's word says. And then as the outflow of that, our lives to be changing. Hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Chapter 1 verse 25 says that we are to persevere in our faith. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. The hearer of the word who then forgets, once kind of knew it, heard it, but forgets, is the wanderer. The one who goes after the wanderer, the extraordinary Christian, that's the one who hears the word of God, not forgetting it, and is a doer who acts upon the word of God. That's James's concern throughout this letter, that we actually have a faith that works, a faith that gives evidence. And it isn't that we, uh, by the way, don't struggle at times. In fact, we've made it really clear that we all struggle. I love Chapter 3, verse 2, where James says, we all, how many people? We all struggle in many ways. And I love how disarming that is. I love how freeing it is that as we get together week after week, we don't have to worry that we're in some place where everyone else seems perfect except us. James 3, 2 dashes that notion on the rocks, telling us that we all struggle, we all stumble in various ways. It's comforting. So though we stumble, though we might have a trip up, though we might really kind of have a, a struggle once in a while with, with what God's doing in our lives, we're, we're not wandering away, it, it's just a stumble. We're not letting it become anything more than that. And when you feel like you are or others notice that you might be, then that's always time to turn back. 
When we can't see it for ourselves, if we have people in our lives who are strong advocates with us, that we're in small group with them or we're in a tight relationship with them, somebody that we can trust spiritually, that person says, you know, I've been noticing some things in your life. I I feel like you're not as, as, as fired up about the Lord as you used to be. And we would listen to that counsel and we would... We would allow them to, to, to lead us back, to bring us back to the path so that a stumble doesn't become a wander. And I've seen this enough to know that there's a pattern among those who would profess faith in Christ, who would say that they're living for him. Even those who would be baptized, as we're going to practice here this morning. Those who would make a profession of faith right here in front of the church and then would start out and, and kind of would be walking with him and And then over a period of weeks and months and maybe a year or maybe even years, they just disappear. They just wander away. It starts with a series of small decisions. It's never as abrupt as this Sunday I'm fired up for Jesus and next Sunday I'm gone. It's never like that. It's a series of decisions that lead us away from the Lord. So I thought maybe this would be helpful, maybe to somebody in this room right now. Signs you may be wandering. Ready for these? Signs you may be wandering. The first sign is this. uh, Worship is hindered. My worship is hindered. A series of questions I could ask you here. Uh, Can I miss a Sunday without really missing it? It's no big deal when I miss a Sunday. By Sunday, I mean... Being here with the church. Am I having trouble giving a proper offering? Or have I given a proper offering at one time, but I've backed off from giving what I once did? Do I feel anything? Please understand that worship isn't all emotion, but it's not the absence of emotion either. Do I feel anything during worship? Is worship merely a Sunday thing for me? I do it when I'm here, but the rest of the week, not so much. Worship, we understand, is a 24-7 proposition for those who are extraordinary Christians. That what we do here is, is corporate worship, but personal worship ought to be happening throughout our week. Or maybe I could ask this in terms of worship being hindered. Maybe I've resisted being baptized. Maybe that's the issue going on in my life. And I've been professing faith in Christ for some time, but I've never actually been baptized in the way the scriptures tell me to be baptized. My worship is hindered. Any of these could be a sign that you're wandering. How about this? Secondly, uh, your walk is weak. Your walk is weak. Have I, in recent days, been making lifestyle choices that I know are counter to God's word? I know they are. I know that when I do this thing, I know that when I'm in this relationship, I know that when I go to this place, that that's not a good thing. I know it. I'm rationalizing it. I've made up excuses for it. I know that they're counter to God's word. My walk is weak. Am I less and less enthusiastic about going to my small group and being part of that community and really building that community? Maybe I've been resisting even getting into a small group in the first place. My walk is weak. Are 
Our prayer and personal reading of the word dropping lower and lower on my priority list. If you don't have any, any desire inside of you to read the Bible, if you don't have any desire to pray, then your walk is weak. It could be a sign you're going to wander or you are wandering. Here's a third area, signs you may be wandering. Third, uh, work is grudging. My work for Christ is grudging. Have I backed away from my area of ministry? I mean, I once served there, but I'm not doing it so much. Or I changed what I was doing so I would be able to do less. Am I joyless in my service for Christ? I, I, don't, I don't enjoy it at all. I feel coerced into doing it. I'm doing it because I have to. I do it because I was recruited. I don't do it because I love to. I don't do it because I love God or love people. All these are signs that you might be you might be wandering. If you're answering yes to some or all of these questions, it's not leading to a good place. Don't let a stumble become a wandering away. Because the consequences of what we're talking about here are eternal. And and listen now, they're eternal and they're catastrophic. The goal of turning back a wanderer, I want you to look ahead now to verse 20 for a moment. The goal of turning back a wanderer, notice, is to save his soul from death. Now, it could be that what we're talking about here is is, is temporal death, like, like first death, the death we're all going to encounter physically. It could be that. It could be that we're seeking to avoid the Lord's discipline in a person's life. And so I just want you to be walking with the Lord in a better way so that the Lord won't discipline you because that happens sometimes so that you won't get sick and you won't die because the Lord ordained that for you because you were disobedient. That happens. Not every time. Not every sickness is related to that. Not every death is related to that. But some people have gotten sick and some people have died because they were unfaithful to the Lord and the Lord disciplined them. I hope we all understand that. In fact, earlier in chapter five, it was dealing with that kind of scenario where we would just check with a person before we prayed with them for healing to make sure that there's not some disobedience in their life. And the Lord isn't just trying to get their attention. It could be that. But it's more likely here that what we're talking about is eternal death. That the wandering away actually becomes evidence that a person is not truly a Christ follower. And that their ultimate destination is eternal punishment. The end result of unchecked wandering is death. I want us to really look at it this way. Uh, professing, check this out now up on the screen, uh, professing Christ. This is the moment that all of us who are followers of Christ, there comes a moment in which we must confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've done that at some point. There's a moment in time when you finally and ultimately surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. That's the moment of professing. Professing doesn't actually tell me a lot. To use the the expression we use, the proof is in the pudding. You have to see fruit and evidence of the profession to know that it's genuine. Just because a person comes up here and says, 
uh, prays a prayer and says that they become a Christ follower, I'll always be real careful to say they professed faith in Christ today. I will not say this. They became a Christian today because I don't really know. You'll never hear me reporting to anybody. Six people became Christians last week. They don't hear that from me. What I'll say is six people professed faith in Christ last week because I still want to see some fruit from my vantage point. I need to know that there's evidence that they truly did become followers of Jesus Christ. Now, so that's the professing. Everybody has to do it. Not everybody who does it is actually genuine about it. So professing believers then once in a while, again, James 3, 2, we all stumble in various ways. We know, everybody here knows, we stumble. Correct? How many, how many followers of Christ here, you just say stumbling, stumbling. How many of you say, I, I might have stumbled this week even. Okay, like that's pretty common. It's, it's part of the stress of living in a world that's still tainted by sin. We, we wrestle with sin issues. We wrestle with temptations. Sometimes we're successful in that. Sometimes we give in to the temptation. We face trials. We struggle with knowing God's will. Sometimes in the midst of a trial, we just get angry with God and we shake our fist at him and we throw up the kind of angry why question. I don't get why this is happening to me. Why did you choose this for me, God? It's a bit of a stumble, not wrong to ask the question, not wrong to seek the Lord for some of these answers. We face tough life situations. We have doubts about our faith. We could count all of this as being stumbling. It's natural for the follower of Christ, professing, stumbling, stumbling unchecked becomes wandering, wandering unchecked becomes renouncing. Now, instead of professing faith in Christ, I actually go around and say to people, you know what? I just don't believe that anymore. That was during a time in my life. I'm just not there anymore. I don't believe what I once believed. That's renouncing. It's a denial of faith in Christ. Wandering is dangerously close to the edge of that. And once we've renounced Christ, then that leads to what the scriptures talk about here and elsewhere as second death, spiritual death. As you move um, on this chart, as you move from uh, left to right, uh, there is an increasing or decreasing evidence of salvation. A decreasing evidence of salvation. You can't claim to know Jesus Christ if you're moving further and further and further to the right. Until the point where you actually get to where it's pretty obvious that you're not a Christ follower. Now, this is not to say, and this is important that we understand right now. This is not to say that a person had actual faith in Christ and then lost it somewhere between wandering and renouncing. That they had it but lost it. We don't believe that. Scripture doesn't teach that. We believe that the person ultimately who is not following Christ, who has renounced Christ that that decision that they made was never genuine in the first place. It wasn't real. And if you're wandering, I mean, if you're here this morning and that's your gig, you're moving towards renouncing, you're really struggling in all of this, then you can have no assurance whatsoever that when you die, you'll be with the Lord. It's not going to be there for you. You're deceived if you believe that. At the end of it all, what confirms the genuineness of your profession is, is not, not the fact that you professed. 
Not the fact that you prayed a prayer, that's not saving you. Not the fact that you were baptized as a rite of the church, that's not saving you. Not the fact that you became a member of the church, that's, that's not saving you. Not, not your testimony, the story, not your work for Christ, your service for him, not the offering that you gave, not your moral character. None of that is saving you. All of it could be evidence that the profession is genuine, but it's not saving you. One thing alone counts in the very end. I love this. Jot down Mark 13, 13. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Endurance is everything. Persevering in our faith is everything. The way we know... Like we could, we could do a whole thing right now where we go, how many of you have been baptized? You've professed faith in Christ. You've been baptized. How many of you are members of the church and faithfully serving him? We could have all of those people stand, but that would be awkward for the people who are sitting. Let's be honest. So we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. But we could try some kind of earthly human on the ground right now way of figuring out who's saved and who's not. We kind of do that anyways in the church. But the reality is, I don't really know you're saved and you don't really know I'm saved until the very last day when we're face to face with Jesus Christ and we look around and go, oh, that's who's saved. And, and, we're probably going to be surprised at some people that are standing there. And we're probably going to be surprised at some people who are not. It's going to be a tough day, except for the fact that we're seeing Jesus and it's going to be awesome. Persevere to the end. That's the thing you need to be concerning yourself with above all things. Perseverance. You need to be standing there. You loved Christ. You followed him the whole way, no matter what you faced. Sin sin couldn't take you out. Trials didn't push you off the path. You stumbled a few long times along the way, but you're there. You didn't wander. True Christ followers are people of resolve. I don't care how hard it gets, I'm making it to the finish line. And when it gets hard, and when I stumble, what's really awesome is people come around me, uh, advocates, people who love me, people I'm in relationship with, and they're going to help me get to the line, then they're going to stumble and I'm going to help them. I've said it recently, I'll say it again. We're all in a marathon, this isn't a sprint. Marathons are grueling and hard. Nobody breaks the tape smiling. And we're all just trying to help one another get to the finish line. That's the church. You want to think about the church? It's perseverance. We're all, we're all stumbling. We're all struggling. It's hard for everyone. We're all sinners in need of God's grace right now. We're all just trying to help each other get to the finish line. Amen? That's all we're trying to do. We don't want anybody to wander from the faith. We want to firm our resolve up and persevere to the end, living intentional, purposeful, confident lives with Christ in us and us in Christ. We don't wander. We walk with Christ. We don't fall. We persevere to the end. I love what Paul said in in Philippians 1, 6. You love this? I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Amen? He will, he will bring it to completion. That's why I know salvation does not depend on me. It depends entirely on the work of Jesus Christ in my life. All right. That was the first point. Ready for the second one? Ready? Ready? I had a lot to say in that one. This one's a little less. 
We need to understand that part of our mandate then, if we're not going to wander, part of our mandate then is to make disciples, of making disciples means that we go after those who do wander. We're going to go after them. James says in the latter part of verse 19 here, and, and someone brings him back. If any among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back. Someone. You want to be the someone. If you love Jesus Christ, you want to give yourself as he gave himself. His coming was a rescue mission. We understand that. He came to save us. His sacrifice on the cross was was to save us from the condemnation of our sin. Sin leading to death, eternal death. We were in peril and only one plan could rescue us. The sinless son of God needed to come to this earth to give his life in our place. His shed blood, blood paying the price for our sins. We're being asked to go after the wanderer, but the example is in Jesus Christ. He went after the wanderer. He went after you. He he went after me to bring us back to the Father. We've been given the same mandate to reach those who don't know him. Go into all the world and make disciples. That, That includes, by the way, not just going, as we said off the top, not just going and reaching those who don't know Jesus. That's the first part of it. But then once they're in, the discipleship process, the making of disciples never ends. Not done for me. It's not done for anybody in this room. It's not done for you. We're all still making disciples of one another. We're trying to help one another become better followers of Jesus Christ. Part of that involves bringing back sinners who professed Christ but are wandering. It's one and the same mission. That's part of making disciples. Go after the wanderer. Now note, if we do this right, if we do this right, the church is going to be a messy place. It's going to be a messy place messy place if we make room for those who are struggling in their faith who are stumbling along the way it's not going to be a neat and tidy ministry here's what i want i hope you want this too i want us to be a church filled with repentant and recovering adulterers Repentant and recovering liars, addicts, thieves, and gossips. That's what I want our church to be. I want it to be that rather than one that shows such people to the door. Because it all seems too messy to have them here. Some people are looking for a pristine church. But the church of Jesus Christ was never meant to be pretty and pristine in this earth. But it's supposed to be a place of repair and recovery for the sinner and the sick. For the wanderer and the wounded, for the beaten down and the backslider. We're not supposed to be done with that kind of person and thankful they're gone. We're supposed to intentionally purposefully and eagerly go after such people, go after the wanderers, go after the sinners to bring them back in. That's the kind of church I want. Is that the kind of church you want? A messy church 
filled with broken people, just trying to live their lives for Jesus Christ. It means that we're going to have to stop pretending, be real authentic with one another, and that there's going to be safety together in the community with that kind of authenticity. It's going to allow more people to come in because they won't feel like the church has to be all perfect or that they have to be all perfect, excuse me, to go to the church. That's what's going to happen when we impact people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's, it's transforming, but in the process of transforming, it's, it's a bit messy. You have to deal with stuff in your life and in the lives of others. I was reading about a church this week, you know, uh, pastors always struggle with numbers and how to count and all of this. And, and, and uh, most often churches report things like Sunday attendance. How big is your church? You give your Sunday attendance. How many people were baptized last year? How many kids are in your children's ministry? And we talk about all these different kinds of numbers. I've actually become less and less intrigued by the numbers. But there was a church that I read about this week. It's a church plant, not part of our fellowship, but a great church plant that's happened in Nevada in the last two years, right in Las Vegas, in fact. You can imagine that to be a challenging place to plant a church. Though plenty of sinners there uh, to go around. And this church decided that rather than measuring Sunday attendance as the measure of success or growth, that they would measure what they call the Sunday impact. That's their phrase. The Sunday impact number. Sorry, got that wrong. The gospel impact number. That was their number. The gospel impact number for them was every person in a seven-day period of time that was impacted by the teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that means you would count, in our case, you would count both Sunday services. Everybody who heard the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of the word of God was part of worship. You would count your youth number from Tuesday night. You would count your Awana number from Wednesday night. You would count your small groups as people got together. You would count one-on-one encounters and counseling sessions for biblical soul care. You, you would just count every time the church got together and the word of God was open and gospel impact happened. Now, obviously, that's going to give you a big inflated number. And some people could look at that and go, wow, our gospel impact number is no longer 700 people on Sunday morning. But now it's like 1,500 people. Somehow, pastors, that would be just about a pastor's pride swelling up. But it's not about that at all. I would still be about not really broadcasting the numbers so much, except that we could grow in it. The purpose, though, of this is to make disciples. The reason why we exist is to help each other follow Jesus Christ. And so gospel impact is the thing. Bringing back wanders is what we should be about. Inside and outside the church needs to be both. We're really talking about the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit through the gospel that brings people back from their wanderings. We should be all about this. It's not really our work. We should understand that every time we're on mission. We've called on God to be part of it every time we're seeking to live out the four pillars as we understand uh, the mandate to the church. Proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology, lifting high the name of Jesus in worship. Believing firmly in the power of prayer, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with boldness. Anytime we're doing those four pillars, we are in essence turning people back from wandering. 
It may be that without me even knowing it, you've been straying from the path. But today's message or something that was done in worship or some encouraging word or a prayer that you're going to have with somebody after the service, something today is going to cause you to make a decision to turn back from your wandering. That's gospel impact. That's the thing we want to be measuring and looking for and be about as the church. And so really you'd say, uh, maybe, well, I don't, I don't really have a lot of opportunities like you would, Todd, or like a small group leader would, or another teacher in the church. It's each according to his gift. Every time an Awana leader gets ready or a helper, every youth night, every small group leader or host or apprentice, every small group member that's speaking into the lives of another member, all the training and equipping we do, all of the work of support teams, the tabernacle team, our audio visual team, as two examples, all of them can make this happen. All of the gifting toward this mission, all of it counts as going after those who wander. And so I just need to ask you the question, are you doing all that you can with the gifts that God has given you and the passion that you have inside of you? Are you doing all that you can to help wanderers come back to Jesus Christ? In order to have impact, all you need to do is serve according to your gifts and then have a few other things going on in your life. Let me just share these with you. What needs to be true of you is that your life is being lived consistent with the word of God. That when people see your service, they know that it flows out of integrity and genuineness. That you really do love Jesus and the consistency in your life is a testimony in itself. This also needs to be true of you. Do you, do you offer people, when you're asked for counsel, do you offer people your opinion? Here's what I think should happen. Or are you genuinely pulling out the word of God and seeking to give answers, wisdom from the Lord? I don't have anything to offer you. I hope you understand that, that, that from me, from your pastor, week by week as I stand up here, I don't have anything to offer you. The only reason why any of you would ever come here is because I open this book and offer you wisdom and truth from the word of God. I have nothing else. And none of us do. Here's what also needs to be true of you. Third, are you, are you diligent to pray for these wanderers? Are you unrelenting in that? I see someone drifting. I've been praying for months and months now for um, this one couple that I know, and I've just had some concerns in their life. I have a little bit of impact in their life, but not very much, to be honest with you. They don't even live in this city. I've just been praying a consistent same prayer. Their names go in my prayer journal, and beside it goes a certain, prayer, uh, a certain scripture verse that I'm praying for them, and that's it. Just week after week after week after week, I just keep praying for them. And are you committed to prayer? So that again, it's not done in your strength or your energy when you're turning someone back. You're doing it because the Lord is in you and you're seeking his power. And, and then do you take time for people? I mean, there's a sense here in which you actually have to invest yourself in a person's life in order to have impact in their life. You have to be building trust and relationship with them. There has to be uncommon community growing between you. They have to see that you actually love them. Or anything you would say to them will not be convincing in terms of turning them back. Is that true of all of you? The command before us is this. Go after those who wander. And then finally this. When you're engaged in all of this. 
When these things are true of you, you're not wandering and you're going after those who are, check this out, taking the benefits that Christ offers you. That's what we see in verse 20. Whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death. See, that one will no longer live under the threat of eternal separation from God. That's a horror that the world simply does not want to consider today. Even in the church of Jesus Christ, even in Bible teaching churches, no one wants to say the H word. Not sensitive. It's not caring. It's fear mongering. So we couch it in other terms or we don't. Some Bible believing churches now they they're abandoning the doctrine of. Can I say the H word? Of hell completely. If you are not a follower of Jesus Christ. You are in peril of eternal separation from God in hell. It's a horror that the world simply does not want to consider. It goes beyond any description we could ever put on it. Whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save his soul from death. It'll be evidence in your life as the rescuer. Evidence that you're genuinely Christ and hell is not your, de- your destination. And, and, and you're going to save the soul of the one who is wandering. Bring them back so that their soul is not headed for eternal separation from God. Further, whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and notice and will cover a multitude of sin. The gift of forgiveness. Sins erased. Guilt. Fear. Shame. Some of the things that some of you in this room, you're struggling with those things right now. The devil keeps bringing those up. You feel shame over your past and you ought not to. If the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed you, if you've professed faith in him, your past is done. God has removed it as far as the east is from the west. Guilt, fear, and shame taken on Christ, forgiven at the cross. God's love gaining the final victory over condemnation and death for you. Your sins erased. Never to be brought up against you again. That's grace, undeserved and unearned favor from God. The saving of souls releases a God-given grace benefit to both the wanderer who is brought back and the rescuer who brings them back. You should want that grace benefit. We should all want it. We should all want the extraordinary Christian life. I hope you do. I hope you pursue it. Let's pray together. Our God and Father, thank you for um, the incredible joy that it is to know you. Thank you for the clarity of your word. Father, as we've studied in the book of James, these uh, 
uh, last several months, uh, Father, you have indeed uh, pounded away at us by your Spirit and brought about changes in our lives. I uh, pray that we would be reflecting as your followers greater maturity in Christ, uh, more doing of the Word and not just professing of it. God, that there would be greater integrity, that we would be treating each other with greater kindness and favor, that we would be enjoying your grace beyond uh, ways that we have before. I would pray for those in the room who don't know you as Savior and pray, God, that today somehow in this message that's really directed towards those who are already believers, that, God, you would be reaching down into the life of those who don't know you and drawing them into a relationship with yourself, that you would even use the baptisms and the stories that we're going to hear in the next few moments to draw people into that relationship with you. For all of us as Christ followers, Father, we plead with you through the stumbling and the sometimes wandering, God, help us to pursue desire, passionately go after the extraordinary Christian life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We pray that today's message was encouraging and challenging. For more info about Harvest Bible Chapel, check us out online at harvestberry.ca. Thanks again, and remember, you are loved.